Hello there Waterloo Road fans, Tom here, your podcast host, just popping in before we get going to remind you about our Patreon page. Patreon is a subscription service where you can subscribe to creators and get extra exclusive content from them for a small fee. We are on the site at patreon.com slash waterlooroadpod and we offer all sorts of exclusive content over there including our Waterloo Road Awards, including uh, looks back at other school-based TV shows, including Britannia High, and including extended versions of all of our interviews, including the recent chats with Sadie Pickering and Katie Griffiths. All of that is already there on the Patreon, with plenty of stuff on the way. And I would like to thank those of you who have already subscribed. So uh, thank you to Hannah Louise, who would like to shout out NHS Mental Health Services. Thank you to Matthew Kumar, to Joe Buckle, to Evan Francis, to Tom Percival, to Emily Berry, and to Georgia Leah, aka the Avocado Bath, on both Instagram and TikTok. Thank you to all of you for your support, and I hope uh, that some of you listening will join them. If you would like to do that, all you need to do is go to patreon.com slash waterlooroadpod. And now without any further ado, let's get on with this week's podcast. And welcome to another episode of Everything From Nothing, the Waterloo Road podcast. I am your host and Waterloo Road superfan, Tom Beasley, joined, as always, by Luke Stevenson, who has just confided in me that he's finding it very hard over the last few weeks. I say last few weeks, last few series. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I, I worry because the whole pre- the, the thin premise in which this podcast is based is not just we're locked indoors and can't go anywhere. It has now grown to the point which is you're trying to convince me that I should enjoy this. And I, I feel like we've, we've given up the, the go. I'm just, <laughs> I'm never going to get there ever. Um, and for some reason, I got new Bluetooth headphones the other day. And whether I turn them off or not, this blue light never turns off. So that's distressing me as well. Like things are just getting quite hard, if I'm honest with you, Tom. So. Alicia and Danielle arrive at school at the beginning of the episode, absolutely plastered. And I think we're just supposed to take that in our stride, like it's an acknowledged element of their characters. A lot of this episode rests on the idea that there is a binge drinking culture among the teenagers at the school. Like we've seen them at a party, like there was that one party where Flick and Philip had their thing. And I think they were all there drinking. Yeah, but they tidied up afterwards. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> it was the least animalistic thing I've ever seen. Yes. Bolton yeah. was going around picking up the cans at the end of that party, if I remember rightly. <laughs> yeah. But suddenly we're just like, oh, they're going out all the time. And then suddenly the episode becomes a moralizing, you can't coach the alcohol out of these kids. It's like, when have they ever been drinking alcohol? Goodness. What's yeah, we'll get to, we will get to that. I want, like, my first note, despite how much I hate this, my first note started before that section which was the two kids kissing by the big metal hands. Yes. And my thought was, are those the same kids from the museum episode in series <laughs> one? They keep going out back here. <laughs> <laughs> we just can't, we can't stop them kissing. <laughs> I don't like, we had, I don't know, like there were quite strict enforcement rules if anybody kissed on school premises. Like obviously teachers weren't w- witnessing people like a hawk, but like, if, if anyone got a little bit too, like, you know, a, a kiss for longer than a second, there'd often be sort of a teacher who'd walk past and say, cut it out, children. These two yeah, are just, I mean, you know. I mean, I went to an all-boys school with a mixed sixth form, and I don't remember even at the sixth form there being much of anything. PDA-wise, <laughs> packing on the PDA, as the Daily Mail would say. Yeah. I, I, every time you we talk about relationships at school and you go, I'll go to an all-boys school, I have to remind you that gay people exist. Yes, not at an all-boys school in Coventry in the mid-noughties, they didn't. I mean, they did, but they did it quietly. (laughs) I don't think there was a single out gay kid at my school. Put it that way. Okay. It's not not my decision to erase them from history. (laughs) Um, So there's a lot of weird stuff going on at the start of the episode. So Lindsay... Uh, and and Em are expecting the return of their mum because it's her bail hearing today. Why they're so sure she's going to be released on bail, I don't know. Um, yeah, she murdered someone. She murdered someone. <laughs> um, we then, I mean, 
allegedly at this point, I think. <laughs> Tom, this isn't a true story. We don't have to say. <laughs> we'll get a legal letter for a fictional character. <laughs> yeah, she'll press charges against us. Yes, exactly. We, um, do. we don't want that. Well, it would be pressing charges because it would be a civil case. Oh, all right then. All right. <laughs> um, Look, we've looked into this so much, we have to get it right. <laughs> Yeah, but at this point, like, obviously, they're not keeping us abreast of what this case is actually about. But no. from what we know, there seems to have been a premeditated, because of the glance between her mum and Lindsay, there seems to have been a premeditated decision to kill someone, whether it was in self-defence or not, that the, the premeditation comes into it as, like, a factor. Um, so, like, from what we know, like, I know Lindsay's a child and we have to give her a grain of salt, but she, you know, acts like she's, you know running a tower block in dread um, all of the time. <laughs> so you'd think she might understand why her mum, who murdered her father, might not get off on bail. Yeah. Um, so we get some some stuff at the start of the episode. Uh, Josh, at this point, he does get better in the next few episodes, but his only character at this point is to creepily stare at Tom across rooms and playgrounds. Yeah, but he's also just like, I desperately want to know you. And every time you talk to me, I hate you. Yeah, it's, it's just, very it's very odd. I, I want to talk about it. And I want to talk about this at length, Tom. Oh, no. At this, <laughs> at this point, we're led to believe that Tom Clarkson and Rose are living together. Yes. Tom arrives at school in his car. Rose walks around the corner and says, hello. Did he make her walk? Maybe she had to go in earlier for catering reasons. But she was she was outside holding her bag. <laughs> Maybe they are not. Are they living together full time? I don't. Do we know this? I don't know. I don't look, know. Look, <laughs> if you if you're with Tom Clarkson, you're living with Tom Clarkson. <laughs> so, sometimes even if you're not. <laughs> I do, yeah, exactly. If, if if you were with Tom Clarkson, you're living with him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, Tom's still questioning whether what Josh said was true. Um, Rose quite reasonably says that this kid has absolutely no reason to lie. He doesn't gain anything by lying to Tom about whether he's his child. Yeah, he did. He did seem to think he had reason. He had opportunity to gain by just plastering pictures of Tom around the school anonymously. Yes. <laughs> like this is where Rose should say. Tom, he's clearly an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> just, he doesn't have the capacity to lie. <laughs> um, so then we get our first banger of a music choice of the episode because we get Bulletproof by LaRue. Great track. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> a, a proper grower, that song. Yeah. Um, and then, so we get a scene with Max and Kim where Max and Kim are in the office and Max is being slimy as all hell. So Max then says all of the staff are going to be assessed by their heads of department. Um, Grantley's reaction is George Orwell, eat your heart out. Oh, he'd be so good on Twitter, wouldn't he? He would. <laughs> I, couldn't, I can't decide whether he'd like, well, because it all forms a circle now anyway, didn't he? Would it be hard left Twitter or hard right Twitter? Uh, yeah, I mean. They all, they all really believe the same. As, as Orwell said at the end of Animal Farm, he looked from one into the other and he couldn't <laughs> tell which was which. <laughs> <laughs> All, all, he, all he knew was that they'd be quote misquoting him in 40 years' time. That's all. <laughs> I looked from pig to man, pig to man, and I all I knew was they're going to misinterpret this, aren't they? <laughs> um, so we then get our second musical banger of the episode. We get The Show by Lenka, which is a song I have not heard in so long. I love this song. It's one of my favourite songs ever. And do you want to know a fun fact about it? I do. In the movie Moneyball, an underappreciated Aaron Sorkin written <laughs> film, it's set in 2002, I believe, and in it, Brad Pitt's daughter plays Lenka, the show, right? And then she records it on a CD, gives it to him, and when he makes this big emotional choice about whether he's going to leave his um, baseball team to go work for another franchise, because American... Um, he listens to that CD and that's, that's what forms his opinion. The show by Lenka came out a full nine years after this was set. <laughs> it's just like they hooked a big emotional beat this, of this film on one of the most glaring continuity errors, unless what actually happens is his daughter goes on to become Lenka. But I don't think I that's feel like true. That's, that's the only option. That's the canon, surely. 
Yeah, he, he gave up being a baseball general manager to nurture his daughter's singing career. Um, so we see uh, Philip, who uh, obviously really fancies uh, Roz, the John Foster's girl he's been bonding with, but she sort of ignores him as she walks past. And then Philip sees Paul talking to two comedically blonde girls. <laughs> It's quite incredible. It's it's like um, it's like Fantastic Four reshoots blonde. It's, yes, it's like it's so fake. Yeah. <laughs> How blonde it is, and then like, but like on one hand, I was just like, like, we need we need some extras for Paul to be chatting up. Find me the two blondest extras, and then dye their hair blonde. <laughs> it's Paul. I was like, is Paul now a pickup artist? Like it's, it's it's really hard for me to like go back ten years in time to when that hairstyle was like cute. <laughs> so every now I'm just looking at it, just going no, no. <laughs> I did, I had thoughts like I thought I like started relating to Philip when he sees Roz and he goes hello. She ignores him. And he goes that went well, and I was like, yeah. oh. <laughs> you like this this has this has happened. <laughs> and then um. When, because they're talking about the whole, the like being inspected by their heads, as, and then he, um, Steph describes Joe as the head of modern languages, yeah, in a way that makes you think that Joe is in charge of all language, like in the <laughs> world. <laughs> it it really elevates her station beyond you know being the head of the French department in this school. Um. So yeah. So Philip approaches Paul. Um, and P- Paul's advice is that girls want to laugh, and then he says, "Look at Johnny Vegas." Now, I don't, is Johnny Vegas a renowned sex symbol? I know he's a well-liked guy. <laughs> I, my note is, it seems to suggest Johnny Vegas has a rampant sex life. <laughs> Paul was one of those kids who was allowed to watch Sex Lives of the Potato Men, <laughs> and he just goes, "This is what women want." <laughs> This, this this documentary about Johnny Vegas. Um, so we then see uh, Lindsay and uh, Amy and some of the other John Foster's girls. They, they seem to have formalised this girl gang. <laughs> oh, this all goes to like, at the end of series four is one of the more ridiculous lines in television history, which starts from this moment and it it, it builds. So um, they're all get. So Lindsay's got this tattoo on her arm, which is the, supposed to be the Chinese symbol for loyalty. Um, I did Google it, and Google tells me it is. I thought okay. it'd be funnier if it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Chinese symbol for badger. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Amy's just got one. Lindsay's got one, and uh, Siobhan, who, as we mentioned in one of the previous episodes, I think, is uh, Phoebe Dinever, who's now a big deal because she was in Bridgerton. Mm-hmm. Um, Slumming it. Yeah, we all have to pay our dues. <laughs> she's good. She's actually really good. So we, we see some more stuff with Alicia and Danielle. Um, Steph sees them and says, "Oh, you better be on top form for my class later." They're messing about in Grant Lee's class, um, and Alicia starts to call Danielle a lightweight because she's clearly struggling more than she is. Yeah, well, you know, they're like twelve. How old are these people? I don't. <laughs> Well, they're sixth form, aren't they? So they're supposed to be like 17, 16, 17. Mm-hmm. They might be 18 at this point, which is how they managed to get into Yeah, they might the be. Club. But like, but it's like they just went to a club with really big bags of school uniforms in it. Surely that's suspect. <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> um, so if we, then we cut to Philip, who is, bless oh, his little dear. cottons, oh. recording a stand-up video on a little camcorder. My goodness. Now, what do you think is the bigger signposting of a psychopath among teenagers? Stealing underwear and hiding it in girls' bags or doing stand-up? Now, as as you well know... (laughs) You are both an underwear thief and a stand-up. As you well know, I dabbled in stand-up comedy during my teenage years. Um, And I'm a psychopath, so it checks out. I like I like the idea that through this we're gonna you know, we're gonna end up blowing up on the front pages of Screen Rant as we uncover that the Oscar winning The Joker was just a rip off of Series Five of Waterloo Road. 
it is a bit like that. I mean, to be fair to Philip, my stand-up was about as good as that. So <laughs> it rings true. I saw your stand-up. Yes. No comment. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Let's keep it that way. The, the, um, one, the one day that we did the um the open mic day that you took part of, you were not the worst one there. Thank you. I will take that as a compliment. <laughs> I think that was the last time I ever did stand-up that day. It was the last time I ever went to an open mic night. (laughs) (laughs) So that, you had a Philip moment that ran close to home. I had a Philip moment that ran close to home. (laughs) It's like the idea of you going, it's a Tom Muss. Never Tom, Tom (laughs) Us. It's it's also, we call him Phil all the time. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, so uh, Joe was sat in on one of Steph's classes. She criticizes Steph for coasting with her teaching and then blaming it on the kids. And then Max speaks to Joe and in in as many words tells Joe to make Steph a sort of blood sacrifice for their new regime. Max is Max is essentially he's just like the you know the like satanic offspawn of early Trenerman and Roger Aspinall. Yes. That's but that's basically what he's here to serve. He's those two people in one. And well, we get a little scene with in the staff room where Helen and Steph are talking about it. And Helen says that Max is an inspirational leader, to which Steph replies, so was Mussolini. <laughs> <laughs> one to add to your Orwell collection there. <laughs> yes, very much so. Um, and then we see that Steph has copied a lesson plan off the internet. Tom says. When the kids do that, we can spot it a mile off. And Steph's like, no, it'll be fine. <laughs> and Steph quite famously can't. Yeah, yes. Her, her and Grantley both let copying <laughs> yeah. stuff slide in, during, through the duration of this show. And um, so while this is going on, uh, the sixth formers are in science. And I think the only reason we've introduced a science teacher is to do this storyline. <laughs> yeah, again, why are there so many kids in a sixth form science class? Um, well, I don't think there were that many. I think if they ever had a class of 30 in the lower school, they'd really struggle. <laughs> but science classes were always like that, weren't it? It's like, how do you fit all these people in there? <laughs> I always remember we had um, a, a biology class where when we watched a video, because you basically all have to sit on this like back row table at the back, and they used to shove like 25 of us up there. It was a little bit more biology than I wanted at that age, to be honest. I'm kidding. It was all of the biology I needed to sustain me. <laughs> so Ooh, we touched um, elbows. So Bolton says that what the girls need is hair of the dog. And so Paul says, oh, I've got an idea. And he goes to the cupboard where um, Chris Mead just keeps all of his chemicals in an unlocked cupboard the kids have access to. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Just drink like, it. Just I don't it. know where the chemicals were kept at my school and that's good <laughs> i shouldn't have known <laughs> i i did but generally people were just like let's just not go in the chemicals yeah. we, we, we're kind of we're, we're well aware of the dangers of these chemicals so let's just not go in there <laughs> um uh, so paul goes and gets a bottle of ethanol from the cupboard and he says oh this is ethanol it's the scientific name for alcohol or whatever and they make this disgusting sort of cocktail with this horrible pink liquid that, that Philip just got Philip that Paul just has. It, it's like ethanol and cherry aid. It's yeah, it can't be good. Do you remember like classic when you were a kid, classic cherry aid? And it just used to be like 30p, and it would like somehow tongues are already quite red. And classic cherry aid would make your tongue look yeah. like you'd just like, eaten um, a heart. <laughs> like panda pop. Yes. Panda Pops were like a, a, a tame version of Cherry A. Cherry A <laughs> was like, it's like your, your mate got some from Sauce. See, when, 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 I always remember the illicit thing being Sunny D. Yes. Because I think there was probably no, once a story, there was like once a story in the Daily Star, probably, that said if you give your kids Sunny D, they'll die. <laughs> and so it was always a big deal. I was like, oh, I was never allowed Sunny D. And then, you know, once I got old enough to go to a shop, I bought some Sunny D. And I was like, this is fairly nice. And I never had it again See, because I, it, it's not all that. You're like, are you a year younger than me? Two years younger than me? Um, 
you might have like missed out on the peak era of sunny d so when i was in primary school you could get little bottles of it for like 40p and this was when it was like california sunny d california was the best days florida was a middling days and they had this weird brand like black current thing that no one ever liked um but yeah california sunny d it just tasted like sunlight it was <laughs> fantastic um and then there was the whole jamie oliver induced panic about it and then they like it basically disappeared for a couple of years came back i remember being like not even for a couple of years for a long time and then i remember seeing it with my mom and i was like older in a shop i was like oh my god sunny d we have to get it and i just taste it i was like it just does not taste the same and I think the fact that I could remember it, how it tasted, having not tasted it for like eight years, is probably a signpost of how many additives were in it. Probably. It's like, if I try hard enough now, I can remember the taste of a turkey Twizzler. <laughs> I can create a turkey Twizzler taste in my you mouth. You see, we've had this conversation be before. I, I never had a turkey Twizzler. Yeah, exactly. I think you were, you were right. At, you were probably starting school at the Jamie Oliver cutoff. Mm. Whereas my primary school break and lunch times break time you'd go in there'd be a table full of nothing but donuts different <laughs> types of donut and cake with sunny d's and milkshakes and that's what you bought you see at my and primary they, school at break times it would be just crisps and almost everyone would buy two packets of crisps for this 10 minute break period and would just chain the crisps <laughs> uh, that yeah, was normal <laughs> And that's the thing, like, I just can't look back at it and ask, like, how did we just, how did they justify giving <laughs> so many donuts to children? They had this, like, the Mac Daddy donut was a foot long, right? Like, like you're selling this to eight-year-olds, and it costs 30p. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was insanity. The stuff I used to eat at school, just unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, so Paul and Bolton have some of this horrible pink cocktail thing. And they give it to Danielle, and Danielle like glugs it from the bottle. I, at this point, I really want to remember that like Alicia and Danielle were supposed to be the smart girls brought into yeah. race standards. I feel like I just have to bring that up every now and again when they. And, and we like see things. that because there's a scene. So Steph finds them, and Danielle is even more wasted than she was when Steph last saw her. And Steph's like, "Oh, I was relying on you to make me look good in front of Joe. Um, put, put Danielle in this cupboard to sleep it off. I think it was probably the same cupboard where Dante was held hostage in like episode two of series one." <laughs> I say, I, that would have been good if they found a little shot where the thing you was tied up with yeah, was still exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, in, in virtually the next shot Paul has mass produced <laughs> where did he get so much Like, I, I know where he got his ethanol from it's the other drink yes. I don't know where he got that from <laughs> yeah. he's just like for some reason today, Bolton, I walked in with 40 bottles of Cherryade. I don't really know what I'm going to do with it, mate. I really <laughs> like, hope something comes up. <laughs> hang on, I can just sell sell it as a mixer. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, Alicia Paul goes... Paul goes on to be the founder of Schweppes, which <laughs> exists for no other reason. So uh, Alicia goes over and says, Danielle's in a real state. This stuff's obviously not good. Um Bolton then is very questioning about it, but Paul is very bullish. He's just like, they know what they're buying. <laughs> if they die, they die. <laughs> so we see uh, Bolton then running through the school, trying to get all the, the drinks back off people. And then Rachel finds Sam Kelly with some, smells it, nearly falls over and realises there's something going on. It's just, it's just insane, this, isn't it? <laughs> it's a crazy story, though. The, the supply lines are all off. That's what I need. I need to know. <laughs> Again, I sat through Breaking Bad, which was like it was 1% about making meth, 99% about getting the supplies to make meth. Mm. And, you know, if I sat through that, this show can spend five minutes just explaining where all the bloody cherry aid came from. <laughs> um, so while this is all going on, we get a brief scene where Roz walks in on Philip doing his stand up. And Which, instead of going, you psychopath, what are you doing? She goes, oh, you're doing stand-up. I love stand-up. <laughs> I'm not sure there is a more embarrassing thing for someone to be caught doing. No. Than <laughs> practising stand-up. At that moment, I reckon Phil would have said, you know what? If I could be caught pants down holding one of Rachel's bras, I'd take it. <laughs> 
Um, I mean, all credit to Raj, he takes it in her stride, and then Philip just for some reason just sort of yells at her. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it feels like I have to make her laugh to like me, but I'm not ready to make her laugh, so I'm going to yeah. chase her away with my angry, angry words. <laughs> um, so uh, we get Steph's class then. Uh, Carla questions the lesson plan as it feels really old fashioned. It's GCSE level, so it's not not high enough level for them. Um, and then after the lesson, Joe immediately has the measure of the fact it's a stolen lesson plan, rather making a mockery of Steph's bravado. My question about Carla in this scene is Carla has always been taught French by Steph. So how would Carla know what GCSE level is? Because she presumably <laughs> got her GCSEs from Steph, who wouldn't have taught her that properly. <laughs> Maybe uh, Carla has done a lot of teaching herself at home. Mm-hmm. No. And, and that's how she's got a good GCSE in French. <laughs> um, so the, Rachel goes to Max with the, the alcohol uh, issue. Um, Max's solution is rather than try and track the kids down who've got it, is to ring the fire alarm. <laughs> the, the thing about this is because obviously you see all of the kids like they're being told to leave their bags and then they go outside and Max is like, own up, who has it? And then I'm just looking at all the kids who are just like, who are like holding up their bottles. Like, all right, so you didn't take your backpack out, but you're four, oh, if I'm about to watch another fire at the school, <laughs> yeah. I probably need to take the edge off. <laughs> There's so much ethanol going around that school, it would have just gone... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those kids were just doing the safest thing imaginable, weren't they? Yeah. They were just like, oh, I know what this, this would do if I left this in here. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I, I know what it is. Everyone, everyone wants to, at some point, break the glass and ring one of those fire alarms and max was like today is my day <laughs> this is why i got into executive yeah, exactly he he didn't need a second invitation to do no. that it's like there is there is a scale between here is a problem and i need to break a fire alarm yeah. and when the problem isn't there is a fire in front of me very rarely is the answer breaking yeah. a fire alarm but yeah. he's just like no here it is but it's just the way he's just like he just barks through the window to his assistant saying, "Call the fire brigade. Tell them. Tell them this is a test." <laughs> I am mad. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That is literally what he does. Um, they they do this strange like bottle amnesty where, like you say, they all hold up these bottles. I am, I am Spartacus. So is yeah, my yeah. yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then uh, Steph notices that Danielle's not there. We'd seen her sort of wake up at the sound of the fire alarm and then collapse in the storeroom. Um, so Steph uh, rushes in, Rachel follows her. Um, they find Danielle in a right state in the toilets. Um, she's uh, uh, rushed out. Um, Steph takes her to hospital. Uh, the nurse is saying, oh, a stomach pump won't help at this point. She'll already have kind of absorbed it into her system. Um, so it's all very fraught. Yes, it's good that it goes nowhere. Yeah. This has no this has no material consequences for any of the people involved. But what we have to do, this is Waterloo Road doing an issue, and so we have to do staff room debate hour. This <laughs> is it's so out of nowhere. <laughs> when Tom's just like, look come on, the kids are going to drink. We might as well tell them how to do it safely. Otherwise, they're going to be breaking into chemical cupboards and mixing cherry aid and <laughs> ethanol. And it's just like, where did this... Like, somehow there's just this endemic yeah. drinking culture at the school that we've never been introduced to. T Tom, just, said, Tom said it with the tone of a man who has been eyeing up Chris's ethanol since he got to the school. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, every, all of us want to drink ethanol. That's all we want to spend our days doing. But... Yeah, I'm I'm an adult and I'm trusted to know that I don't drink ethanol. We need to trust the kids that they can drink, but just not ethanol. <laughs> it's it's becomes I, like... I, I was thinking back to Roger Aspinall and like making a speakeasy for his son. <laughs> yeah, a like, death. Because yeah, didn't Brett say, like, his idea has always been that at least I'm drinking at home and not mm -hmm. yeah. in a classroom. <laughs> <laughs> Very mean girls. Yeah. Is there alcohol in this? Like, yeah. No, why? If, you, if you're going to drink, I'd rather you do it in the house. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, Tom says, oh, we should be teaching the dangers rather than preaching abstinence. We do the talking points. It's all very um, it's just It's just so out of nowhere. Yeah. It's like, again, this whole like, oh, there's a drinking cult. Like, it's not. We saw two kids coming drunk and then an idiot gives someone ethanol. And suddenly yeah. it's because kids are so hang up. The kids are so thirsty for alcohol that they will just buy a mysterious substance. It's like that's not what we know about this place. No. Um, so but we get a nice Max moment because Max says to Rachel that Steph must have known something about Danielle, and that's why she charged in like a demented bison. <laughs> so much, so much. What winds me up about this episode is it's about the conflict between Rachel's belief that you don't give up on people. It's about you know supporting people to get better and max is like we need to you know get cut a few dead heads to you know make some proper progress and it just means that rachel goes to bat for people in totally just like just inescapable situations like steph had a drunk girl in her care and locked her in a closet and then went to teach two hours of classes really badly and Rachel's just like hang on she's one of my people it's what Waterloo Road does to you though because if you remember Rachel came in with a similar sort of momentum it was like weed out the bad complacent staff <laughs> and now she's like I love the complacent staff <laughs> it is just unlike you know it's, no one can watch this episode and go yep Steph should still be employed yeah yeah like Rachel's just like no no, but it's like it's supposed to be like a conflicting philosophy. Two philosophies conflicting, but from an audience perspective, any right-minded individual looks at this and goes, "No, that guy is completely correct about this." Like yeah. we've all, you know, we've all known Steph shouldn't be here for about four years. <laughs> yeah. So Max um, goes to grill at Paul and Bolton about this. Paul has no idea of the gravity of what's happening. He's just laughing at Max. He's going on about supply and demand, drawing the Schweppes logo first draft on his back. <laughs> so people won't like it, but they'll keep <laughs> buying it. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. So back at the hospital, the nurse, for some reason, is Judgy McJudgy Nurse. <laughs> she's like going on about all oh, these bloody teenagers getting messed up you have no idea how much time we have to allocate to them yeah it's like if she's just like a little bit drunk fine but like she has she's got ethanol in her system yeah. like <laughs> this ain't a normal situation no. like all, all of the kids in here are mainlining ethanol it's ridiculous and if that was happening you'd go maybe we should bring in some legislation for where ethanol should be stored <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's very strange. Um, Lindsay goes to M and says, uh, I found out mom's not getting out today. Um, we're not why not? See her she murdered someone, she murdered someone. We're not going to see her till after the trial. M is understandably very upset, and Lindsay sort of just tells her, Oh, you're gonna have to be brave. Um, we then see Carla go over to her, um, and, and she kind of gives her this leaflet with, with kind of advice. And Carla's kind of frank honesty helps, um, rather than the, the nonsense Lindsay's been telling her. I had to remind this because I was convinced Carla gave her like a Scientology pamphlet or something. And I was just like, oh, here's the twist. <laughs> but I, I don't know what it was. One, she left one on Lindsay's locker earlier and it was something about like being a victim of abuse or something. Okay. So not Scientology. Well, it could be Scientology. So, not so, no, as far as we, I think the one that she gave to M had like a police logo on it. So it probably wasn't Scientology. <laughs> no, uh, they're everywhere. <laughs> um, so Kim then goes into Max's office and sort of tries to be intimate with him like he was to her earlier. He kind of bats her away and she rightly calls out the double standard of that. Um, and then he kind of blames Rachel for it. And he says, oh, you're not a cheap fling to me. I don't understand why this relationship is happening. And it I, troubles I just... me. She spent two series giving to giving abuse to Andrew, who just whose whose basic principle was children need structure. Yes. Max Tyler wants to murder any child who gets below yeah. a B, and she's like, I'm so hot for you. Yeah. Maybe it should Max, have seen like, Andrew... Mussolini Tyler. <laughs> Andrew just wasn't right wing enough. <laughs> no, that's it. He should have doubled down. So um Siobhan is in the bathroom. She's got her, her tattoo done. When and how, I don't know. Um, <laughs> during like okay 
so uh, beforehand she's like to say don't wear your school uniform because i'll know it's you but she doesn't have a spare change of clothes so what she's done is she's taken her blazer off and her tie off walked into a tattoo parlor wearing a what is ostensibly a school shirt skirt and tights and just gone can i have a tattoo please and they've just gone Sure. They've gone. Oh yeah, you're here for the Chinese loyalty one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Like, I don't. I, I'm not au fait with like tattoo regulations, but I feel like they have to have a greater duty of care to go right. Like, whatever happened to Challenge Twenty Five? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've learned that I'm going to be at least fifty before I escape the tyranny of Challenge Twenty Five. <laughs> <laughs> Even for paracetamol yes cowpole the other week bloody cowpole i got checked for yeah can, can of energy drink every time every time i don't drink i don't drink energy drinks i'm not a chav <laughs> I'm, that, I'm from the west midlands <laughs> yeah and like i always like try to avoid the idea that i'm quite classist on this but on that <laughs> on this front i'm quite happy to just say energy drinks are for chavs <laughs> The only thing that kept me awake through most of the sixth form was the searing pain in my stomach from the energy drinks I was consuming. <laughs> this this drink is full of electrolytes, which, if they exist... If they exist, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, genuinely, that was what I was like for quite a long time. Um, so Michaela uh, sort of goes up to Siobhan when she's crying about this tattoo, criticises her for just going along with, with what Lindsay says. Um, I don't feel, Michaela, I feel like Lindsay, Lindsay comes off a little bit hard done by here. I don't think she was pushed into it. Two girls got a tattoo and they're like, it's just us showing loyalty. There were like five other girls there and only Siobhan was stupid enough to go and do it. Yeah. And she said, oh, I want one. And she went and got one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, Michaela then goes and tells Kim about the tattoos. Um, Rachel and Kim then sort of warn Lindsay that if anyone else gets these tattoos, it's... it's um, it's, it's going to be trouble. And then they have a little clash with Michaela and her group. Her group of non-speaking girls. <laughs> yeah. It's just, again, I'm feeling this with, like, Rachel over all of these episodes. It's like, it's, again, it's a clash of philosophies. Do you see the child? Do you see the results? Every time they try to demonstrate Rachel, it just looks more and more insane. Like, three underage girls clearly left school during school hours and got tattoos. Like, and you're just like, no more of this, please, girls. It's like, no, no, no. You should be finding out where they got it done and report it to the authorities because yes. they're just tattooing any sap who walks in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, then there's a Philip and Ros scene where Philip apologises for kicking off. And Ros says that Philip's pretty funny when he's not, like, being weird and that he should practice, which raises the spectre that this might be a storyline. I, I said, I put in my notes, if there is a stand-up comedy storyline, I'm quitting this podcast. If this is if, if this is Philip's boxing storyline yeah. and series five, you know, the midway through ends with him doing an underground comedy fight. Like his, his first gig, because this is Waterloo Road, will be for the like Edinburgh Comedy Awards. Like... <laughs> live, live at the Apollo. With... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. He's ne- it, it's Philip, never Phil. Never Phil. <laughs> um, so uh, we learn in, at the hospital that Danielle's going to be fine. She says that she did it all because it's fun. Steph says, well, you can have fun, but you need to be more careful. And that's sort of the end of that storyline. Um, I feel like this presents us with an opportunity to discuss the tabloid panic. <laughs> I don't think it's tabloid panic. I think it's because... Kids are idiots. And <laughs> so what happened was when this episode aired in the two weeks after, there were at least two occasions where um, kids actually drunk ethanol in actual classrooms. And um, it was connected to this show because they admitted they'd seen it. And so various tabloids uh, ran with that story. And if, if you listen to the uh, Waterloo Road reunion a few weeks ago, um, a few weeks ago, it was probably months ago by the time you're hearing this. Um, <laughs> the actors who played Danielle and Paul Langley were talking about how they had to go and do radio and TV interviews to talk about the dangers of actually drinking ethanol. 
even though in the show they make it so clear that this character nearly died and could have died because of doing this. Like he's my like in my head, all I'm hearing throughout this is from the episode of The Simpsons about the B sharps, where they're showing the merch. And there's like a squeezy foam. And then Homer says, yeah, they had to take it off the shelves because someone said it was poisonous. But to be honest, I think if you eat this, you deserve to die. But stop it. And, stop <laughs> and like, that's my thing. It's like, what's the, what's the show done other than just say, don't drink ethanol, you could die. And then a bunch of kids went and drank ethanol. Like, you know, there's no amount of Rachel Mason schooling that can help these kids. The thing is, this is one of those, like some storylines that the, focus on things that could be imitated you can go oh well we're just tackling an actual issue and we felt in order to explain the dangers we should do it but for quite a lot of kids the idea of drinking ethanol would never have occurred to them yeah yeah this is this, this definitely didn't invent the idea of like oh yeah drink some ethanol <laughs> but it, obviously the show does handle it responsibly and does make it clear that it's a terrible thing to do <laughs> yeah yeah it does make it clear, although again, Danielle faces literally zero consequences yeah. for her actions. But none of them, none of the characters get any joy out of drinking it. Like they're not no. shown to be like merrily drunk or whatever. The only one we see I has suppose... any reaction really is Danielle, who has a horrible reaction. Yeah, I suppose the pro- the problem there is is that Danielle was already hammered and struggling when she drank it, and then she got worse. So, you know, if you had to say for one thing, it's not like there was like a bunch of sober kids walking around the school drank ethanol fell on the floor and died like but yeah it was good I, oh, there hasn't been a good moral panic in ages is there no it's all cultures now though isn't it yeah that's the thing they managed to weaponize stuff like this was it t- tide pods was that the last moral panic yeah t- i think tide pods was the last like or what was the the like the thing on like whatsapp that was supposedly encouraging kids to kill themselves the like the scary face um, oh, Momo? Yeah. Was it Momo? Possibly. It was something like that. That was probably the last good tabloid moral panic. Yeah, because that was everywhere. And yeah. I remember it was just like people on Twitch being like, this, like, literally, you know, it's tangentially related to one case in Argentina. And now everyone's just like, all kids are being told to kill themselves because of the WhatsApp thing. And I was like, I remember, like, in our... You know, our class, bear in mind, at this, at this point, our daughter was seven. Like, in our class WhatsApp group, they're like, oh, we're all a bit scared about this thing called Momo. I was like, does your daughter have a WhatsApp? No. <laughs> then, come. Like, if she does have WhatsApp, that's a bigger problem than what the thing this is. There'd be, like, there'd be, like, one story occasionally, which would be, like, all kids are being sent it on, like, Roblox or Minecraft or something like that. Mo money, mo problems. But yeah. <laughs> I feel like in the noughties, we were getting proper tabloid moral panics at a good rate. Yeah, I suppose, like, in the noughties, everything was broadly fine. So that's yeah, why that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we could obsess over, oh, a kid might drink ethanol and die. Yeah. This past year, it's been, should teenagers wear face masks in school so they don't catch a virus that's killed 130,000 people. The, the, yeah. the spectre of how serious we can be has changed, really, hasn't it? Yeah, that's it. We, you know, we want our kids to have the freedom to drink ethanol. Like that's... Yeah, we, we yearn for the days when people could drink ethanol. Legal disclaimer, don't drink ethanol, you might die. <laughs> Again, I refer you back to the Simpsons quote, if you drink it, you deserve to die. <laughs> Um, so uh, Steph gets back to the school and relays the news to the other staff. Um, Rachel says that ignoring Danielle's drunkenness earlier in the day was professional misconduct. Yes, it absolutely was. Um, we then see Lindsay um, with her sort of girl gang. Uh, they're going to sort of attack Michaela, but then Lindsay says, no, target Carla. Um, and they do a very unpleasant attack on Carla where they write freak on her forehead. Yeah, at which point Carla is told not to breathe a word, but she just wrote it on her forehead. Like, there's no there's no way she can be quiet about this attack. She's about to walk through a school with something written on her forehead. These kids, they don't think these things through. It's because they're all drunk on ethanol, idiot. Yeah, that's it. Um, so Steph is now uh, is really upset about what's happened, really upset about how her attempts to help kids don't go well, you know, with Danielle. And she brings up Maxine as well. Um and Joe then says that Steph is Steph's not a good teacher, which we all know. 
Um, but Joe says, I'm not going to like throw you to the walls. I want you to put in the proper work. Uh, and he, she signs her up for some retraining. Yeah, at no point does Rachel or anybody think to step in and just go, this ain't going to work. <laughs> yeah. We've been trying to fix her for years and we've all just given up. Absolutely. Um, so uh, R- Rachel, for some reason, ensures that Paul and Bolton only get temporarily excluded for almost causing the death of another pupil and endangering <laughs> dozens of others. Again, this is just so weird because M- Rachel manages to successfully twist this into we're not educating the children about alcohol enough. Mm. The children are going to get alcohol. We just need to make sure they get it safely. And it's like, when has that been a problem? but so she manages to create this endemic situation out of nowhere and then gets everybody off scot-free and it's like what happened is two girls came into a school drunk and then two boys started bootlegging moonshine like yeah. <laughs> and then like that isn't like oh the kids they they're yearning for the alcohol so we just have to teach them about doing it safely and it's just like when since when yeah all those kids thought sad. they were buying cherry aid <laughs> um so so kim uh decides not to go for dinner with Max because she wants to go see Rachel for a drink because Rachel needs help. Rachel says that she feels Max is, is divisive and cuts her out of the loop. And she says, this feels like a coup, which I think, again, is fair. I don't think it is because he was just appointed ahead of her. <laughs> yes, but not like his role is not to run this particular school. It's to oversee the running of several schools in the area. Yes, but Rachel, aren't you aware that you're in a scripted drama? Um, so while all this is going on um, Tom has driven to the University of Manchester with a sad cover of you somebody playing (laughs) oh Oh, just like both the combination of the whispery cover and it being you somebody (laughs) but and the thing is Tom shows that he parks like he parks at school everywhere because he just drives right into the middle of the like um, the like courtyard at yeah, the University like, of Manchester and just dumps the car. I was just like, is this where are you allowed to park here? <laughs> yeah. And also looking at the Manchester Uni, do you not just feel so shortchanged about where we went to university? <laughs> like ours was an we old. Went to, we went to like a new university, so it had like no history. It was like a converted like old polytechnic. Yeah kind of thing and it basically meant all of the buildings were like they were all regenerated after we left but yeah they were it's lovely now (laughs) yeah yeah but like all of the things were just like crap and then you go to like Manchester Uni it's just like it's like a cathedral everything is just drenched in class yeah um so Tom goes to see uh Georgia who was his uh, tutor back in the day she says it's all true Josh is your son um, he says it can't be. We took precautions, um, but she says, "Well, there was no one else. It could have been at the time, so it has to have been you." Um, and then he is Tom's angry at her because she made it seem to Josh like he abandoned him, which I think is yeah. fair of Tom to, to make that. Yeah, point. but she seems like really emotionally like she seems to be convinced that Tom is going to like punish the boy, and Tom mm. like says this line where it's like he's just one of hundreds of kids I teach. I can't, and it's just like. Well, we all know Tom's not going to do that. It's just really weird scripting that, that she just gets really sad about it. Yeah, because um, Tom says that, that uh, yeah, he doesn't mean anything more to me than any of the other hundreds and hundreds of kids I've taught. And that's because you chose to deny him a father. Yeah, I was just I was mainly perplexed by the idea that she's meant to be like years older than him. Mm. Well, I, like, we talked about this earlier before we started recording and I looked it up and the actor playing Georgia is eight years older than Jason Doan. Yeah, I suppose it can make sense that she was a, a cheer of that, but they kind of make this idea that she was like this this like older woman, like this kind of, you know, Mrs. Robinson, Mrs. Robinson. figure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> figure in his life. And I was like, again, they're being very, very, very generous. Like people who wrote this just have hots for the actor who played Tom Clark. He's like, He's, <laughs> He looks far too young to have sired a 14-year-old, whereas she clearly looks the age where she could have been an older woman at university. When I was looking at them, I was like, you look like brother and sister. I mean, when you look at like, the photo, when you look at the photo of them, they do look at like a similar age. So it does seem that he was like, you know, a 19, 20-year-old student, whatever, and she was like a young academic in her late 20s, early 30s. So while this is going on, Max sees Kim leaving the pub with Rachel. At first, I assumed he was going to, like, have a go at her for, like, blowing off their date to go and see Rachel. Um, 
but he doesn't. They have another like creepy conversation about their like work personal boundary, and she keeps calling him Mister Tyler, and I strongly dislike it. <laughs> I want to condemn it in the strongest possible terms. <laughs> it makes me shiver. <laughs> yeah, I'm just. I'm not. I'm broadly. I'm not okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've given it some thought, and my thought is that I'm against this. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but yes, yeah, so Tom, they have this conversation, then Tom drives away from the university, and that's where the episode ends. Having caused only one moral panic. <laughs> um, so the next time trailer, it suggests we're getting a kind of classic kid of the week thing with this kid called Luke. Um, we see... A strange Max line, which is even stranger when it's in the actual episode, where he talks about the start of the Tyler Revolution. Oh, the Tyler Revolution. Like, imagine being an actual human who says that about, like, initiatives you're starting. Like, I didn't start this podcast with you and go, this is the Beasley Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, if if in the future people decide to describe this as some form of, like, you know, St- like, you know, Stevenson epitaph, <laughs> I'm, I'm all right with that but like i can't describe it like that myself no no i mean history will no doubt tell us that this podcast was a watershed moment in british culture but we can't say that ourselves yeah. <laughs> a watershed road moment in point exactly exactly and that will be the headline in the newspaper <laughs> <laughs> next to a picture of us 60 years old still watching waterloo road <laughs> Me just yelling, why are they in Scotland? <laughs> um, so yeah, we see uh, the rest of the next time trailer, there's some more girl gang stuff and there's someone, we presume the kid of the week, joyriding in Max's car. All good fun. All good, clean, family fun. The next Americanism we're adopting is not pressing charges, it's that every car is an automatic. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. And a 14-year-old can just get in and drive yeah it took me a year to learn to drive <laughs> i've driven a car once in my life and that is an automatic when i'm half driving automatic i drove it in a tesco car park i went 20 feet slammed on the brakes went that's enough for me thank you <laughs> um so play out song it's got to be lenka has to be oh obviously has to be you know it give it gave him an emotional moment in Moneyball and it's giving us an emotional moment right now. If it's good enough for Brad Pitt, it has to be good enough for us. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) 